Colossians chapter 1. That's going to be in the New Testament, kind of toward the back of your Bible. It's a short little book, only four chapters, so it's one of those that's easy to flip by and miss. Colossians 1, we're going to start in verse 21. Picking up right where we left off last week. Last week, Paul talked about Jesus is at the center of everything or should be at the center of everything, that everything really kind of revolves around Jesus, was created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. And so Jesus needs to be at the center of our lives. That's the point that Paul was trying to make, that Jesus needs to be first in our lives, and we need to make sure that he is. And he talked about in the verses before what we look out tonight, we talked a little bit last week about that we were reconciled to God through Jesus, that we were at peace with God through Jesus. Because of our sin, Romans tells us that we are enemies of God. But if we follow Jesus and are covered by his blood and gain salvation through faith in him, then we are reconciled to God. We are now friends of God, not enemies with God. And as a result of that, as enemies, we get God's punishment and God's wrath. But as Children of God, we are at peace with God. And that's what Paul said we get through Jesus Christ in the verses we looked at last week. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into verse 21. God, we thank you for these words, and I pray that you just hide me behind the cross and let me do a good job to preach and teach them, and I pray that we get something from it. Let your Holy Spirit open our hearts and our minds and open my heart, dear Lord, and, 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 and let me hear your word like everybody else, and let me preach it and do a good job of it. And I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 21. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions. Now, that's what we just talked about. Our sins are those evil actions that Paul is referring to. And because of that, we were alienated from God. We were separated from God. We were not part of God's kingdom. And that separation, that barrier that kept us from being part of God's kingdom was our sin. And as a result of that, he says we were alienated and hostile in our minds because of our evil actions. Uh, people who don't follow the Lord, they may not even realize that they are hostile to, toward the Lord. They may not realize that the actions that they are doing are evil. Uh, that's true for all of us. Before we become Christians... There are many things that we do that we probably don't realize that they are that bad. But once we hear the gospel and hear about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal things in our life, and we begin to realize, you know, there are some areas in my life that aren't good. And once we begin to realize just how sinful we are, we say, whoa, that's not good, or hopefully that's what we say. Some people don't care. But we hopefully, when we hear God's word and we begin to realize that we're evil, we begin to ask the question, okay, if I'm evil, God, now what do I do? Well, that's what Paul tells us and all the New Testament tells us. Well, if we realize we are evil and we realize we are hostile toward God, then we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus comes and dwells in us and cleanses our sins and we are no longer hostile toward God and we are no longer enemies of God and we are no longer alienated from God but we instead are children of God in the kingdom of God. Verse 22, But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. So here Paul reminds his audience. Now his audience knows this because 
They are Christian. This is a Christian audience, but he is reminding them of their salvation and the importance of it. How did that salvation come about? Well, it came about through Jesus' physical body. There was a physical price that had to be paid. If God brings wrath and punishment on sinners, and that's how sin is, 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 is justified and sin is redeemed and the, the price is paid, then somebody had to take that wrath. Either we were going to have to take it, we were going to have to pay the price of our sin, or someone else was going to have to take it for us. Well, we could not pay the price of our own sin. Uh, it would be like if we went to a restaurant to eat and you got through and you didn't have money to pay for the food. Well, guess what? You're, you're probably going to have to do something to work that off, to earn, to pay the price of what you ate at the restaurant. Well, if what you ate was priceless, then you would work it off for the rest of your life and you would never be able to pay the bill that you owe. But if you ate and you didn't have the money to pay for it and somebody walked in and said, I'll pay the bill for them, well, that's of, of no cost to you, but it is of cost to the one paying the bill. And they are willing to do that for you so you don't have to work it off. Well, that's what Jesus did for us. We, because of our sin, we could never work off the debt that was owed. We could never work off enough to earn our salvation but Jesus came in and said, I will pay the price. And what was the price? Well, for Jesus, the price was his very life. His life must be given. And he gave his life on a cross. And Paul reminds us of that, that we are reconciled by what? By what we do? Nope, by what Jesus did. We become at peace with God. We are reconciled to God. We are children of God and enter the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Through what? Through his death. And now, what did that accomplish? Well, it accomplished what we need to be with God. God is perfect. God wants us to be with him, but our sin separates us from God. So how can we be with God? Well, we can be cleansed of our sin so that we can be faultless and blameless before God. Now, how does that occur? Because we're not faultless and blameless, right? We could probably all name five things we did today that were sinful, things that we shouldn't have done or wish we hadn't have done. Those are the types of things that separate us from God. But Paul reminds us here that because of Jesus and his sacrifice, we can be presented to God as holy, faultless, and blameless before him. It's not that we have not done any of those things. It's not that we have not sinned, but it's that Jesus Christ paid for our sins. And so when God looks at us, uh, he sees that we are covered, that the price has been paid, that the wrath has been poured out on Jesus who took it for us. So therefore, we don't have to take that wrath. And when we stand before God, we stand before him faultless and blameless, not because of what we have done, but because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Speaking of if, verse 23, he says, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now, this is an interesting if statement, and we see a few of these in the New Testament. There's uh, one we just looked at in Sunday school a couple weeks ago. I believe it's in 1 John chapter 2. One of those if statements. Now, what does Paul say? He says, look, we were alienated from God because of our sin. 
But Jesus came and paid the price so that we could be forgiven. And if we put our faith in Jesus, we are faultless and blameless before God. Okay, that's good. We want to be faultless and blameless before God. Well, how does that occur? Well, we can be faultless and blameless before God if you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith. Now, this is an interesting passage here because Paul is writing to Christian people. He tells them that they must remain in what they are in. What are they in? They are Christians. They are in Christianity. They have faith in Jesus Christ. So how do they accomplish this blameless and faultlessness? How do they, how do they become children of God and be part of the kingdom of God? They hold to the faith. If they remain in the faith, they will experience this. They will enter into the kingdom of God. Well, what if they don't remain in the faith? Well, it seems as though this is a big if right here. It seems as though Paul is saying, here's how we are saved. We are saved by faith. That's pretty clear. We see that in Ephesians. Uh, it's by grace we are saved, by faith, not of ourselves. And it's the faith that we have in Jesus Christ that saves us. Should we lose our faith in Jesus Christ, then what is there that will save us? What hope will we have? That's what Paul says here. You will receive this hope. You will receive this deliverance if you remain steadfast in what you have believed, in what you have put your faith in, in Jesus Christ, and are not shifted away. That is, right now, Paul is saying, you are believing in Jesus, you are trusting in Jesus, so don't get shifted to believe something else. Don't believe another false god. Don't follow anything other than Jesus because there is no salvation in Jesus. But if you remain in Jesus you will remain in the hope that Jesus gives you with the gospel you have heard. If you don't remain in Jesus, well, it appears as though Paul is saying you will not receive that hope. Now, some would say that if someone is truly a Christian, that they never really had that faith. And so if they turn away from Jesus, they never really believed Jesus believed in Jesus and had faith in him to start with. That's a possibility. Uh, other Christians would say, well, it's also a possibility that you can have a genuine, genuine relationship with Christ, and if you lose your faith in him, what else is there to save you? There is nothing else to save you other than your faith. Now, whether a Christian can make such a, a decision and commit such an apostasy is heavily debated among Christians, but this would be one passage that may would lend support to that, uh, that, that Paul is stressing here that if we are in Christ and have heard the gospel, as the, uh, the Colossian people have, we must remain in that faith so that we receive hope from our faith in Jesus Christ and are not shifted to believe something else. Because if our hope is not in Jesus Christ, we are hopeless. He says this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now, this is the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, it's what Paul just said. Jesus Christ, Christ crucified and resurrected, and as a result of that, we can be forgiven and enter into the kingdom God of God. This is the gospel that Paul has just preached in these few short verses that we have looked at and the verses prior. And Paul says, look, I am a servant of this gospel. It is, it is my goal, it is my, it is my desire to preach this gospel, to get this word out for those who have accepted this gospel, to encourage them and disciple them to continue in this gospel. That's what this letter to the Colossians is. He's telling these, these Christians in Colossae to continue to serve the Lord, to be encouraged, to know that he is praying for them, that he is 
thankful for them. And he is writing so that they will grow in the Lord. That's what his desire is. And that's why we're here tonight. That's why we come on Sundays. Hopefully, at least that's why we come. So that we can grow in the Lord and hear something from his word. Or from the fellowship of our brothers and sisters. Or from the songs we sing that will draw us to him if we're not already his. Or draw us closer to him if we are already his. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. Now, what Paul is saying here, it, it may seem at first glance, depending on how your trans, translation reads, that, that, that maybe Paul is insinuating that, that, that Christ's afflictions and his sacrifice is what's lacking. Well, that's uh, likely not what he's saying. It's certainly not what he's saying. Paul would not say that what Jesus did was not sufficient. Uh, what he means there is likely that uh, whatever whatever shortcomings that the people of Colossae has, he is suffering for them and he is doing the work of God for them and writing this letter to them so that any weaknesses that they have will be filled in so that they, as the body of Christ, will be able to grow in Christ. And so there certainly were some things that were lacking in them as there are things that are lacking in us. Uh, I would suspect that none of us would say, oh yeah, we are perfect. We are living the godly life to perfection and there is nothing that needs to change in my life. No, none of us would say that. There are things that are lacking in our life. There are things that are lacking in our church. And Paul says, look, I want to do my best to teach you and show you what, what, what you need to learn to disciple you so that whatever's lacking can be strengthened and you can fill in those gaps. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Now, when he says he rejoices in his sufferings and the flesh that he, is, that, that he is going through right now, Paul is in prison when he wrote this letter to the people of Colossae. And so Paul is certainly suffering for the gospel. He, know what it, he knows what it means to suffer for the gospel. And so as he is in prison, he is writing. But he is rejoicing in that, in that imprisonment. Why? Because he is imprisoned for doing what is right. He is in prison for doing what is wrong. It's interesting with Paul. Before, uh, before he came to the Lord, Paul was persecuting Christians and going and rounding them up so that they could be arrested. And he was, he was good then. Nobody, nobody really bothered him. But as soon as he, he, he flipped sides, as soon as he put his faith in Jesus Christ, well, then he was a target. Uh, he was an enemy of the state at that point, and now Paul is in prison for doing the right thing. He got away with doing the wrong thing, but it was only when he did what was right that he received punishment. And that's an important thing for us to remember. There are some times where we do things and we think, man, why is this happening to me? Why does this bad thing happen because I did what was right? Well... Sometimes that's the way it goes. Sometimes it's easier to lie, cheat, and steal than it is to do what is right. And sometimes if we lie, cheat, and steal, we might come out better than if we tell the truth. Because sometimes <coughs> telling the truth uh, is difficult. And Paul is, a, is an example of that. But he says, look, even though I am suffering and in prison because of you, I am glad to be here. Because I am here for what is right. And I am passing on to you what is right, what is the truth. And that is Jesus Christ so that you can grow in him. All right, verse 25. I have become its servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you 
to make God's message fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And so the gospel, what was going to happen when the Messiah come, this was a mystery back in the Old Testament. All these things were written for the people, but they were a mystery. They were uncertain about how these things were going to be fulfilled and what these things were going to look like. Now, we read the Old Testament knowing what happens in the New Testament. But this original audience, they, it, living just a few years after Jesus, they were probably still putting all the pieces together and figuring out and under, trying to understand how Jesus fulfilled everything and, and still probably putting pieces together saying, oh yeah, this was pointing to Jesus and that was pointing to Jesus. And those things were a mystery, but they are no longer a mystery. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The mystery has been revealed all of our questions have been answered in Jesus Christ. Everything pointed to Jesus Christ. And so there is no mystery anymore about who the Messiah to come was and how God was going to fulfill his plan and how God was going to uh, redeem his people and how God was going to forgive their sins. That's not a mystery anymore. We know the answer to that, and the answer is Jesus Christ. The mystery has been solved. Let's continue on in verse 27. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, not only did God want to make known the, the, the mystery to his own people, the people of Israel, but he wanted that mystery to be known to all people, to the Gentiles, to people who were not uh, Israelites. Now, sadly, many of the Israelites, they didn't understand the mystery. Even when Jesus came and revealed the mystery to them, they still didn't understand the mystery. They're still today trying to put the pieces together. Well, all they need to do is read the New Testament, but they don't read the New Testament. They read the Old Testament. And so to many Jews today, it's still a mystery, but it's not a mystery to those who read the Scripture and read about Jesus Christ because he is the answer to the mystery. And that's what he says. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Verse 28, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So what does Paul desire to do? Well, he desires to help these people of Colossae to be mature in Christ, that they would grow in Christ. He wants to teach them. He wants to give them warnings to keep them on the right track so that they don't abandon the faith, but they stay strong in the faith of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is writing this letter to help these people mature in Jesus Christ. He got news that this group of people in this city had come to know the Lord, that the, the, the church, the body of Christ there was forming and that people were being saved. And when he received this word from Epaphras, he wrote this letter back from prison saying, Look, I've heard the good news. I know that you have heard the good news of Christ and you are living in that good news. And let me pray for you and encourage you. Let me warn you. Let me tell you how great Jesus is, how you need to focus on him. And you need to grow in him. You need to understand his examples, how he lived, what God wants you to do, how God wants you to live. And the words that Paul wrote to this group for them to mature are just as good for us. You and I need to mature in the Lord as well. It doesn't matter if you've been 
a Christian for 75 years or if you've been a Christian for five minutes. You need to grow in the Lord. You need to mature in the Lord. And so that's why these books of the Bible that we've probably read at least once and maybe multiple times, some of them, that's why it's important for us because it's a living word. And we keep reading it. And we keep saying, yeah, I need to grow. Yeah, I need to learn. Yeah, I need some warnings. Yeah, I need some encouragement. Yeah, I need some rebuke. Yeah, I need some correction. Yeah, I need some grace. Yeah, I need some mercy. And all of these things we just see over and over and over in Scripture. And that's why we need to read God's Word. Because when we read it together, when we study it together, hopefully it helps us to mature. Hopefully we don't come to church every week or we don't read our Bible at home or listen to our favorite preachers or teachers on the radio or on the internet and come away and never get nothing out of it. Hopefully you're getting something out of something that you listen to because when we listen to God's Word and we pray about God's Word and we try to see what it says, there should be some maturing there. We should be maturing in our love for one another or in our ability to forgive those who wrong us or in working on our attitudes or things we say or things we do, whatever it may be. We all have things, and hopefully we're maturing in those areas. Hopefully we say, you know what, God, I see that I'm not doing right in this area. God, help me to mature and help me to grow. That's what Paul desi Paul's desire was for the people of Colossae, and that's what our desire should be when we read God's Word. Let's pray. God, we come to you tonight, and we thank you for these good words, and I pray that you're helping us to mature in you. Dear Lord, we got a little room to grow. we got a lot of room to grow if we're honest with ourselves, dear Lord. So I pray that we would be faithful to your word, and I pray that we would mature, and we would listen to what Paul says. God, it's, it's just as good for Enterprise Baptist Church in Liberty, Mississippi, as it was for the church of Colossae. So let us learn as we grow from it, and let us keep Jesus at the center, and know that we are part of your kingdom only through him, and let our faith remain in him, God. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.